Morning, everybody, from me. Good morning. It is nice to be with you, grown-ups. Although right now, I'm missing the chocolate and sweet sugary goodness that you always get when you come out with the young people. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Mick. I'm youth pastor here and the man most likely to be responsible for giving your young people a colossal sugar rush. I should have thought this morning, shouldn't I? And actually brought some stuff with me. But um, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, but that does present an opportunity to invite you anytime you feel in need of a sugar rush on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're always open to receiving more volunteers helping us in the children and youth work. And the bonus is that you get to eat chocolate digestives, Jaffa cakes and various other things as well. So if you've ever wondered what we get up to as children and young people over the road, then um, wonder no more. Just volunteer for me at the end of the service and I will provide an opportunity for you to come and serve this morning. So, yeah. Don't all rush at once. So, it's thinking about singing in the struggle or a little bit about time to talk I think Matt might have run off with some of my notes did you run off with some of my notes oh look at that yeah there we go ah. <laughs> they like to sabotage things in so So let's think about David a little bit, shall we, this morning? Because it's helpful just to remind ourselves, thanks, Matt, for for doing that little thing on David this morning. That was great. Just a good thing to remember which David it is that we're talking about. And uh, have you ever watched a series of videos online where where there's there's kind of a a Christian involved with it and there's two guys involved in it and there's always one of them that's not quite sure who the, the, what he's going on about from the scripture. If you've never YouTubed these, they're, they're things that came out of Bethel Church. Uh, and they're very funny. Because um, the, the one individual kind of like, oh, so that David is, is that David? You know? So, so, so David, shepherd boy, is, is David and Goliath. And, and um, you know, Saul's arm, and that's the, the same David. And, and King David is that David that did... David and Goliath, who was the shepherd boy, ah, that kind of thing. It's even funnier when they get on to Jesus. So that Jesus, so, so the one on the cross is the same as the one in the manger. And the one that came out of the tomb is the same as the one, ah, oh, right, okay. Anyway, never mind, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you have to be used to the fact that with, with young people, they'll all get the references to the fact that you're using you lot are just old. Come on. So, it was my birthday last week. Thank you, thank you. I have now moved way beyond veteran youth worker. I'm now officially fossilised. But let's think about David for a minute. David, called, chosen and anointed by God. Let's think about him for a minute. Because it kind of helps us when we're thinking about this psalm and the thing that David's writing. Some of the things that God said about David in the first place. So chosen by God and selected from an entire nation and called to be king. God could have chosen anybody from the entire nation. But he chooses David. A mighty warrior. 
a leader and a man ahead of his time. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit was not around in the way that the Holy Spirit is around now. He's a man endowed with prophetic wisdom and knowledge. He can see things that no one else can see in the spiritual realm. He's the one who's not only going to shape the political future of a nation, but he's going to revolutionise its worship life. And bizarrely, he's a man who gets to perform priestly duties even though he's elected king. He's both priest and king. A man really ahead of his time. He's the one who ends up showing the kind of worship that God really requires and who foreshadows all of the freedoms that we now have in Jesus. You know, he sets up the tabernacle in a tent on the side of a hillside where it's not supposed to be and he puts loads of singers and prophets around it and he goes, play your heart out to God. And he completely revolutionises what it means to engage with God. And we have those wonderful psalms where it tells us about the fact that the, the, the priests couldn't even continue their worship sometimes because the presence of God has come down so powerfully that they can't even minister before the Lord. This is David who's been called by God. And actually, this is the same David who eventually, his line, his lineage, is going to produce the Messiah. This David is going to be the one who Jesus chases his ancestry back to the line of David. The one through the hope of all of the nations is going to come. What a man! Didn't like that kind of call on their life. It's fairly impressive, isn't it, really? Fairly impressive stuff. And yet, despite this, despite this fantastic call on his life, and all of this promise that's spoken over David, he starts off being the guy that's overlooked. Even his own father forgot him. <laughs> Samuel has to go, uh, have you got any more sons? Because God's not saying yes to any of the ones that you've brought me so far. And where's David? He's left out with the sheep, completely forgotten. Same David, totally overlooked. Even Samuel gets it wrong. And when David's older brother is first brought before him, he's a huge strapping guy full of muscles like Ben down here. So, and Samuel looks at him and goes, surely this one's the Lord's anointed. Yeah? David is not on anybody's radar. And actually, even after, God goes, yeah, that's my chosen one. That's the one I'm calling to do all of these amazing things in the future. He's the one who's going to be your king. He's the one I've got my hand on. David ends up back with a sheep. 
for a fairly long period of time. Called, chosen by God, anointed, full of promise, full of, of potential in God, completely overlooked and forgotten. And even when he eventually starts to show a little bit of promise, as we heard this morning, the whole David and Goliath thing, yeah. And people realise that this young boy is actually the most courageous one in the, um, in the nation at the moment. He's not even old enough to be part of the army yet, but he's the only one that's prepared to say, I'll take the enemies of Israel on, I'll fight for God, I'll do this fantastic thing. His brothers think he's just a big mouth and he's showing off because he's far too small and weedy to do this thing. And Saul looks at him and goes, no chance, let's put some armour on him. And so he dresses him up in his own armour because he looks at this young boy dressed in a shepherd's guard with nothing, no weapons, nothing on him at all. And he goes, you couldn't possibly take this giant on Let's do this properly. God couldn't possibly use this scrawny little kid to do the work of a warrior. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, we do that really easily, actually, if we're not careful. We look at people and we go, no, you couldn't do that. You don't look able to do that. You don't have the gifts and the skills to do that. You haven't got the experience and the, the wisdom and the knowledge and the training to accomplish that role. And actually, we need someone who's far better educated than you, someone who's had far more physical training than you, someone who's far better equipped than you to do the work of God. And we end up trying to dress up God's anointed and God's appointed with the armour of the world, if we're not careful. And we look for people who look like they know what they're doing, not people who are called by God. We need to be really careful that we don't look with worldly eyes because God has a way of reminding us very often that my ways are not your ways. And no amount of worldly expertise is ever going to bring the kingdom of God. If God's got something else in mind... And God always works through people and not processes. Okay, if you remember nothing else this morning, remember that thought. God works through people, not processes. God is not looking for the most educated, equipped, enabled, trained and resourced people among us to do his work. He's looking the ones with a great heart. And it's those ones he's going to use. Now the danger with that is the more sophisticated we get with church, the more likely we are to go, I'm not sure that guy's got it. Or the more likely we are to go, actually, if we just applied these worldly principles to the way that we govern church, everything would be a darn sight more efficient. And there are elements of truth in that sometimes. We can learn a lot through uh, other things that experts have developed in other realms. Don't get me wrong on that one. But actually, if we start from that perspective, if we think we're going to get to God's plan through worldly tactics, 
We've always got it wrong. God doesn't make a process and look for a person to fill it. He looks for a person and then works out his purposes through them. That's always how he works. And you're all wondering what the flipping heck that's got to do with Psalm 13. I would be, probably by now. But listen, some other things about David. David spends his life then being persecuted by the guy that should have supported him the most. Yeah? David has just um, done this wonderful thing for King Saul, and Saul brings him into his family, into his uh, inner circle, and that kind of thing. That lasts about five minutes. In the grand story of David's life, he's flavour of the month for a very short time, and still, until Saul hears the people singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, and then this little green-eyed monster pops up and starts seeking David's death. David is still God's chosen one. He's being persecuted by the people that should have been his support and his nurture and his backup. That's not surprising. And actually, as we go on through David's life, we discover that actually all kinds of people are after him an awful lot of the time. David spent much of his life running from one form of enemy or another, having to hide in all kinds of different ways, feigning madness, being lost in, among the rocks and in the caves and hiding because people are pursuing him trying to chase him down. God's anointed? Hmm. I wonder if there was ever a time when he felt like he can keep that one. But we have this thing, don't we? Sometimes we think, God's called me, God's chosen me, everyone's going to recognise it, it's all going to work out okay. When I bring the word of the Lord, it's going to be a fantastic thing, it'll be well received. How do I know that God's with me? Because everything's going right. Read David's life. Everything went wrong for David all over the place. By the end of his days, even his own family are hunting him down and trying to kill him. Yeah? And yet he's still the man that God called for the job. Now we don't know where David wrote this psalm. We don't know which bit of David's struggle or battle this was written in. Could have been an early one. Could have been when Saul was pursuing him. Could have been a little bit later. We're not quite sure of the timescale. Location is completely unknown. We don't know for certain where he was and we don't know which season of his life it was in. But honestly, there were so many bad things happening with David most of the time. Most of it probably doesn't matter. It was in one of those occasions where David wrote this psalm or maybe coming to the end of his time after a lifetime of having to run away from other people that were after his guts. This is just the cumulative effect of God's of of outpouring of what's gone on for him. Some important things to think about from this, though. David gives an honest outpouring of where he's coming from. He calls out from the depths of despair and literally wails out this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Which is not some polite English version of that. This is the depth of the guts screaming out before God, what the flaming heck is going on here? Everything is wrong, and they're all trying to kill me. 
This is deep-seated. You've left me, God. You've abandoned me, God. You could fix this now if only you'd act. Has every day got to be the same? Why don't you answer me? And may, maybe there's that subliminal thing which, which if we deeply, gutturally honest, some of us have done sometimes, do you actually get a kick out of this, Lord? You could have fixed this now. Are you enjoying this in some way? Why don't you make it go away? Why don't you care about me? Now, I know we're English and we don't do this. We're all fine, aren't we? Capital letters, fine. Which stands for freaked out, insecure, neurotic and emotional. When you're asked on a Sunday morning, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. That's probably true. You're freaked out, insecure, neurotic and emotional. Because honestly, we're often a mix of these complicated things, aren't we? Important thing, David's not afraid to question God. His feelings are raw and deep and he's not constrained by any inappropriate sense of politeness and protocol. He's hurting, he's feeling abandoned and he's not afraid to show it. Can I tell you that's healthy? That's really healthy. Before God and before people, it's really healthy. Being real about our emotions and where we're really coming from is good for our mental well-being. Have you noticed that the world has just begun to catch up with the Bible again and realise that actually, honestly talking about where you're really at is a good thing for your soul and for your mental state and for your encouragement because actually the more time you spend hiding yourself and the real self and the true self away from other people the harder it is to actually get fixed and to do anything about it the more you are honest and open and able to bear your soul the more chance you have of getting healed and who's the best healer of all? God is do you know last Thursday was time to talk day which is why there's a little time for talk thing up there. Do you know what time for talk day is? It's actually a national day designed for people to actually have little conversations in the workplace about where they're really coming from uh, to encourage improved mental well-being in the workplace. And that's spread out into other things. I'm really pleased that we're beginning to catch up with some of the things that Scripture teaches us. Bottling up our hurt and our pain destroys our mental well-being Have you noticed, though, that often we get trapped by, I shouldn't feel like that? Or is that just, yeah, I shouldn't feel like that. Have you ever felt like that? This is how I feel, but I have no right to feel like that. Feelings are neither positive or negative. Feelings just are. If you feel something, you feel something. Whether it's true or not, or whether or not, you should really feel that thing as intensely as you do is maybe up for grams. But if you feel something, you feel something. And it's okay to feel that thing, as long as you can be honest, is the thing that I feel is the thing that I feel, and that's how I feel, and therefore I'm going to express it. Sorry, you're all looking at me gone out. It's really important. We shouldn't get trapped by the way that we feel we should feel. David had never fought a warrior in his life before David and Goliath. 
But he took on a nine foot giant and brought him down. Because God could use him in that kind of way. David didn't just think of himself more highly than he ought, as his brothers ought to do. He had an honest view about himself, but he could look at the positive things that God had taught him and the things that he had as well, and he could see himself for who he was and what God had done. He knew that he never killed lion and bears in his own strength either, but that God had enabled him to do so. And therefore, when he actually came to taking on the giant, he knew that God would be with him there as well. Because God had called him to do a job and he was going to do the job and he could do the job whether it felt like it or anyone else felt like it could or not. But David brings this honest outpouring unhidden and unhindered by what anybody else thought. And that's one of the things that helped him to gain victory two things on this one God can take it what can God take? your honesty and your raw emotion your rant at him that tells him it's all his fault and actually why doesn't he just fix the job and actually if he pulled his finger out and was actually the God that I wanted him to be then all of these problems would have gone away anyway Does that sound inappropriate to you? It probably is. Completely inappropriate way of addressing the Lord and creator of the heavens and the earth and the one who made us. But if you feel like that, God's got big enough shoulders to take that complaint on. In the book of Job, God goes back to Job at the end of some of his rants and actually says to him, yeah, let me just lay this one out of what was really going on here. But at no point does God ever go back to Job and judge him for the way that he expressed his feelings about what was going on. God gives him an answer as to why he's wrong, but he's not afraid of his raw emotions. The scripture tells us that surely he desires truth in our inner parts. God desires truth in your innermost part. Which bit of you is hidden from the Lord? Which one of your thoughts have you managed to keep under God's radar? Which thing that you've said to somebody else has ever not caught God's ear? And which little sneaky thing that you did in the the shadows did God not actually perceive with the light of his gaze? There is nothing, is there? Honestly, we all know that. There is nothing we've ever thought, said or done that God is not aware of. And yet still sometimes we come to him as if we could con him into thinking that we're better than we are. You can't. But we like to con ourselves into thinking that we're better than we are. We like to pretend that we're more spiritual than we actually are and especially if we're bluntly honest, we like everybody else to think of us as far more spiritual than we are. That's why God gave us husbands and wives. So that where we are frightened to bear our souls to other people, our partners can do it for us. It's a really positive thing. I have no possibility of ever thinking more highly of myself than I ought. Have I, darling? (laughs) You may all go and have a conversation with my wife afterwards. She is lovely. 
and my greatest support and helper. But there's no way of hiding from God. God can take it as well. He's not surprised by the fact that you sometimes think he should pull his finger out and heal this situation faster than he has. He's not shocked by that. He is not bothered by the fact that you are frustrated that he has not answered your prayers faster. He will have his reasons for his own timing, but God is never slow in answering prayer. But he understands it feels that way to us when we have a small, finite time on earth to get everything done as quickly as we possibly can. Let's just have a note. But not only is God's shoulders big enough to cope with all that we want to dump on him, he actually invites us to. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said. I'll give you rest. Peter talks to us about casting all our anxiety on the Lord because he cares for us. God invites us to dump stuff on him because he knows that actually it's helpful for us. And he knows that actually in doing so, he can make a change. Sometimes we think there are subjects we can't discuss with God. We know that God wants us to worship him, but we feel, how can I worship him when what I really feel is anger towards him for a situation that happened? We know that God wants us to praise him, but we feel, how can I tell him in my praise that actually I feel really let down? We know that God wants us to trust him, but we feel, how can I tell him that my faith's running out of steam and I'm not sure how much longer I can cope with this? We know that God wants us to be joyful and we feel, how can I tell him that I feel anything but joyful in his presence this morning? But aren't all of those feelings a bit ridiculous? When Jesus said, your father knows even the things that you have need of before you ask him, nothing's hidden from him. And we can worship him with the honesty and integrity of a busted and a broken way of seeing the world and the way it feels to us. Even if, even if we're blaming God unfairly for things like that. David's not honest, David's honest about his feelings, sorry. We need to be honest about our feelings as well. And get rid of this, I shouldn't feel like that. Because if actually we feel something and we're afraid to actually bear ourselves before God, that's not being brave. Especially if we're afraid to bear ourselves before each other and go, actually, honestly, I'm struggling with this at the moment. That's not being brave to keep it to ourselves, it's just hiding. It's chickening out. Let's just have a quick flick. My notes are all over the place, which you can probably tell. But where we're really honest, where we're really truthful, where we're really prepared to bear ourselves before God, God meets us in it. And this is where this song flips. The encouraging thing for us this morning is the fact that when we're really brutally honest with God, we never change his plans or his purposes it seems really unlikely we can ever change his mind. 
it seems difficult to imagine that we can speed him up in the way that he acts. But it really does change our perspective sometimes and helps us to see ourselves and where we're really coming from. Is it just me or have you ever had one of those situations where you're talking earnestly to somebody about something and you realise that everything that you think and feel on that subject is utter and complete rubbish? Or is that just me? That happens to me quite often. I get involved in a deep and passionate discussion with somebody and then I will realise that actually I have not the slightest idea what I'm talking about really. This kind of honesty with God helps shift our perception and our thinking sometimes and reminds us of... It's it's almost like letting it all be about us for a minute allows God to flip it round so it all becomes about him. And the more honest and raw and deep we can be before God, the more we start to see that actually what I think about this is just not right. What I think about this is not the way that it is because God is on the throne. God is in control. So honesty leads us to a place of reality. And that place of reality is helpful and our perspective shifts from us and our problems onto God. You know, David isn't the only one in Scripture to have cried out boldly. Moses did it, Job did it, Isaiah did it, Paul did it, Jesus did it. They all told God exactly what was on their heart, even though it wasn't pleasant. And if you're ever worried about asking God whether he's got this right, Remember that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane went, if there's any other way of doing this, Father, can we please do it that way? If there's any way you can change your mind on what's about to happen to me, could you do it? If there's any other way of this rescue coming about without me having to go through what I'm about to, could we just do it that way? Well, of course, Jesus manages that, but not what I want, what you want. I can't imagine Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane going, yeah, it's all fine. I got this. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. It's all right. It's okay. His sweat was like drops of blood, they said. He was in agony and anguish in his soul. Yeah. Calling out to his father for something else. When we do that, our perspective shifts. We understand what God wants. And actually, our ability to deal with it improves you see you find solutions when you share your problems with God the key is to overcoming the feeling that God has forgotten you share your problems with him and then you discover that your perspective shifts David felt God had forgotten him verse 1 he talks about being abandoned verse 2 he talks about being forsaken But actually, the fact that we feel those things doesn't mean that they're true. And regardless of how we feel, God knows what he's doing. He's got an end result in mind. And even though we can't see the big picture, God can. When you feel God has forgotten you, you can also ask him for help. Verse 3, he says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Literally. If you don't sort this out, God, I'm going to die. 
but actually he turns a more thoughtful, rational perspective towards God when he's honest. And out of that deeper truth and deeper understanding about the fact that God is a God who will never forsake him, David finds and writes the rest of a psalm that's turned the right way around and reminds him, yet, Lord, I will trust in your unfailing love. The reminder that actually God is always on his side. My heart is glad in your salvation. You've rescued me, Lord. You've called me. He's really overwhelmed by emotion, but David refuses to let his emotions get the best of him. Instead, he nailed them to a powerful truth and he called upon God, saying, O Lord my God. You know, in the Hebrew, that's two words. It's both Jehovah and Elohim. They're both names for God. Jehovah means the God of promise and Elohim means the God of power. If that was me, I'd answer it now. <laughs> it's quite alright, don't worry about this at all. So God is a prom- God of promise and God is the God of power. When we capture those two thoughts, God is a God of promise. Lord, you've called me to be this great leader, this great... Um, Welcome her in of new promise. You've led me to be this prophetic guy. You've led me to be, you've called me to be this priest and this king. And actually, Lord, I trust in your unfailing love and what you have said, what you have promised, you are powerful enough to do. But being real about where we're at allows that perspective to shift. Integrity brings the possibility of a change in perception. And just this last thought, it turns our wailing into warfare. Reality change turns our wailing into warfare. David goes from how long, O Lord, to yet I will trust in your unfailing love and I will triumph over my enemies. There's a load more we could talk about, that whole idea of turning wailing into warfare. But there's a line that we've started singing in one of the Bethel songs that I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Yeah? Louder and louder you're going to hear my praises roar. Why? Not because the situation and the circumstances change yet, but because I'm declaring in that situation that actually God is going to bring about victory in all of this and actually I'm going to trust in him and not what my circumstances say and actually because of that I know that God is able to bring about a change in my circumstances I'm sorry that was so long but let's think about that Lord help us to sing in the struggle but help us to be honest before you about where we're really coming from. If we're battling things, even this morning, Lord God, help us to be brutally honest with you about those, knowing that you have broad enough shoulders to take all our complaints. And Lord, help us to shift our perspective 
not in some false way away from our problems, but allow our eyes to be open to see all that you are. What you have promised, you will do. For every word you speak is truth. Our broken lives will be renewed. Because every word you speak comes true. Lord, help us to remember the promises you've made over our own lives. And Lord, particularly if we're in the midst of trouble and struggle, help us to remember that you are the God who has promised our salvation and our rescue and who will lead us on and lead us out. Help us to choose to align ourselves with you and Lord, help us to remember the power of our praise and the way that you work when we put you on the throne. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.